Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, what's up? Alton, our stars podcast. That's the name of the show. I'm your host, Chris Payne. Host this show every week on Billboards.com, where I talk to a musician or a group of musicians or just a group of people that are somehow connected to the world of alternative music. This week's guest, it's Mitski. Her album, Puberty 2, is out today. Album is wonderful. She is a wonderful person. And we talked about all sorts of things in this podcast. I'm pretty sure this is the first podcast she's ever done. So no no shade intended if there's a podcast with Mitski out there that she's done already that I didn't notice. But I'm very excited to be able to just put out into the world a podcast conversation, about 40 minutes, me and Mitski talking about like all the press she does and what she thinks about the way the press thinks of her. She has a lot of press, so she's got some takes on what people think about all that. Uh, talked about the Myers-Briggs test. Yes, if you listen to this show, you will find out Misky's Myers-Briggs personality type. Uh, Misky posted a list of life goals for herself on Facebook last year. I surprised her and asked her how she's doing with them. Uh, some some inspirational things, I think, with this podcast. Uh, it's a lot more casual, Misky is, than, and she's just kind of just herself, I think, a lot more than most musicians doing press these days, so... I think you'll enjoy it. I think you'll learn a lot about her. So if this is your first time listening to the podcast, guess what? You can subscribe to the show, get it every week. Also, you can listen to old archived episodes. I've been doing it for over a year now for Billboard. To do that, get all the the old episodes or subscribe. Search in iTunes, podcast app of your phone, search for Alt and Our Stars. Also, if you're viewing this as a story on billboards.com right now, listening to this, uh, the embed. Just go to the bottom of the story, the last paragraph. There's a link there where you can also go and subscribe in iTunes. So that's all that. Um, here it is. Yeah. Mitski and me. Mitski and I talking on the Alt and Our Stars. Enjoy. So, yeah, podcast time. Mitski. Hi. How's it going? It's going okay. What day is it? I don't Today's know. Today's Wednesday. Oh, jeez. Okay. Wednesday, <laughs> Wednesday, June 1st? Today, June oh, 1st? the first. It's Gemini season. Okay. What does that mean? <laughs> Besides it being the time of Gemini. Havoc is upon us. <laughs> and Mercury just, Mercury just got out of retrograde. Mercury is... And Mercury is never not in retrograde. It's like... It's just that's... That's why everything happens all the time. <laughs> yeah. See, I don't really know what that means. I just know it's like something that p- 
people on the internet say mm-hmm. when shit's like fucked up. I was talking who who was I talking to? I think I was talking to my friend Jenny, but I don't remember. She was talking about how lately everyone even like normal non hippy dippy people are into astrology because the world is so chaotic that like it gives us a sense of like rules or just kind of categories to put our emotions in. I thought that was interesting and very true. Yeah. So you should get on astrology just to kind of like make sense of yourself. <laughs> yeah. See, in the past I've been into Harry Potter houses for that. Oh, those aren't real. Really? <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> um and then like I feel like the Myers Briggs test is kind oh, of that yeah. function and the thing is like compared to astrology, it's very quote unquote real. Right. What's your Myers Briggs? ENFJ. Oh, I am INFJ. Are you really? Yeah. That's like the rarest type. No, but see, that's the thing. It says on like like the online test that it's the rarest type, but then ever since I took the test, I've met so many INFJs, so I feel like, I don't know, maybe I should take a real test with a real institution and not like an online test, because maybe those churn out INFJs incorrectly. Maybe I'm not an INFJ. Maybe. Or maybe just I, I could see INFJs being really into the test. <laughs> so they're the ones who are just very vocal about yes, it. Yes, I think that's what it is, yeah. We should explain exactly what that type is so people listening, we, so we don't lose them. Because we're getting very technical very quickly <laughs> here. Uh, INFJs are introverts. I don't, I don't remember what each letter stands for precisely, but I know that... We're introverts. We're considered like the quote unquote counselor or the teacher. I don't remember which one it was. I think it was the counselor. Um, and we're very feeling people. Um, and maybe that's why I know so many INFJs because maybe they're all in the arts. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I think so. And if you go through, this is again the online side of the Myers Briggs, which mm-hmm. is. Sometimes they'll sketch, yeah. but if you go to all the famous INFJs, they're almost exclusively like left-wing professors and activists oh, and really? scholars. Yeah, have they all committed suicide? <laughs> <laughs> it's like Noam Chomsky and like lots of people like Noam Chomsky. Oh wow! I guess I better get educated to qualify as INFJ. Yeah, I mean. The way they kind of cite th- this one site that I'm thinking about, which is like the first one that comes up when you Google, mm-hmm. like famous, whatever your type is, the citations will be just like random pull quotes for the people where it's like, I feel a strong sense of loving people, mm-hmm. INFJ. <laughs> <laughs> that could be said about a lot of people. According to um, astrology, well, first of all, I share the same birthday as Avril Lavigne, so I think that says a lot. <laughs> About who I am, although we're we were born in a different year, but still, I didn't know how to think about that. I have the same birthday as it. Something to come to terms with. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the thing I always <laughs> I I was just thinking about how do you know that thing where there's all these photos online of her where she would do meet and greets with fans Mm -hmm. and she had some rule where she like wouldn't touch them and wouldn't come close to them. Mm -hmm. I understand that. You don't like, 
just think of yourself as a normal person being told to stand somewhere and hug like a thousand strangers a day. That is absurd. I totally understand. Like, please don't touch me policy. So you feel it. I feel it. Well, it's just because like, it's maybe like. Feel the, <laughs> the <laughs> well, no touching. It's, it's just like, it's. It's like, it's, I don't know. I totally respect her not wanting to be touched by strangers is what I'm saying. Yeah. No, it, it's it's hard to argue with that. Just the joke of it is that there's lots of photos online of her in meet and greets just very awkwardly, just like both of them are like arms crossed, like, hey, <laughs> just like standing a safe distance apart from each other behind like a screen. Well, I imagine meet and greets can be such a toxic environment. It, Ju- Justin Bieber recently announced that he's not doing them anymore, you know. So, I don't know. I understand it. <laughs> I'm trying to think of, like, what's, like, the closest thing you've done to that? Like, maybe, like, album signings? I haven't done anything no, like that. Not at all. No. I But, I mean, like, I hug people, but it's always voluntary. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway. I guess it's, like, just people coming to, like, the merch table at shows or something. Just saying right. hi. Yeah. But... It's always a consenting thing, so I haven't. I don't think I would ever want to do meet and greets. Also, because it ends up being so impersonal, it's just like, and I imagine it's probably freaky. Like someone you don't know comes right at you and says, "I love you so much," and then hugs you and then walks away, and then the next person, and it's like a three-second interaction, and then the next person comes in and says, "I love you so much," and hugs you and then walks away. And it's like thousands of that per day. That must be like really bad for the soul. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's one of those strange parts of fame that I think it's very difficult to wrap one's head around. Mm-hmm. Maybe if you just have been doing that for so long, you have a well-adjusted way of dealing with it. Right. Hopefully. Yeah, otherwise, like, <laughs> otherwise you just like delete all your social media and like hide away from people. Right. I mean, that's probably why a lot of famous people take drugs just to like not have to be in the present and face that every day. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why people take drugs. That's true. <laughs> that's one of them. That's true. So, you haven't done anything formal with like cuz I feel like with the new album, you're with a bigger label now. There might be something like an album release party or some sort of Maybe like dipping your toe into that side of things. No, no, I don't you think you so. put your foot down with that. It's like, well, I mean, like, there's no the album release party is the first show on tour, and then I just go on tour. Mm-hmm. So I don't think I have like special events like that. It's just like shows. So I don't. I can't see myself ever getting to that point of being like going into a room and being like. Celebrate me specifically. Celebrate me. <laughs> I mean, it could be like with an author putting out a book that's not especially huge. They'll have like a book signing and it's like yeah. more friends. But, you know, some people maybe who are just fans come and maybe something at like a record store with yeah. an album coming out. Maybe. Putting marketing ideas. <laughs> Thanks for this uh, brainstorm session. Um yeah, maybe for the next record. I don't have any plans for that for this record. I think it's too late to plan it now. I think, I mean, like, on, or on and surrounding my record release day, I have, like, told, you know, my booking agents and my managers, like, 
I don't. I want to specifically be able to be in my bed under the covers for those three days and not meet anybody just because, like, because of the shock to the system. So I think I'm the opposite. I, like, instead of doing release parties, I want to specifically be like these three days no one talked to me <laughs> you're gonna celebrate the end of the album cycle <laughs> you're gonna yeah i get to go away now that's true yeah puberty two mm-hmm. it's the name of the album there was no puberty one album no that was a private experience <laughs> <laughs> yeah so the first track was um your american girl mm-hmm. and it was interesting because it was the first track that you shared off the album, first single, you could say, and a lot of music journalists wrote about it. And then you posted on Facebook recently about how some people were kind of getting the wrong idea about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so take us, take me through like what the song actually means. Um, I think that... So I think this is nobody's fault in I remember in my press release I think I talked about how I used I don't know um early aughts white indie rock tropes in the song um but that was purely to accentuate my point about how I you know I don't I can't be what this specific person wants me to be it wasn't I didn't write it as a like an FU song I it was specifically a love song it was for one person and it was about how me and this person were from such different backgrounds and we love each other very much but it's just it there's just such a valley between us that we just can't get past and so that was it was like a purely you know almost innocent love song but then people started to write about how it was a big kind of rebellious f you to a group of people and like that i understand where that interpretation um came from but it just wasn't my intention so that that's why i made that facebook post yeah (laughs) Yeah, song, I can see how it was a very uh, think piece song. Mm-hmm. When people like me hear a song like that and it's like, oh, think piece. Right. There's, there's some stuff to unpack here. Yeah. And then there's the music video, too, where it's it's you kind of making out with your hands mm-hmm. while there's this very white, very, like, Coachella-y couple mm-hmm. making out. So I guess that could kind of, like... Right, so like it, it, it's it's totally understandable, and there is that aspect. It, the the thing is like the personal is political, and vice versa. You can't like detach everything from everything else. But I think I think the the thing that kind of um, bothered me was just that one aspect of the song was so accentuated, but then the other more tender side of it just wasn't being talked about. I think that's what what why I made that post. Um, the video, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm really proud of it. Granted, I didn't come up with it. That was all the director, Zia Anger, and her beautiful mind that came up with the hand kissing and everything. So. And then rocking out. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> it can't just end with hand kissing. No, there has to be a punchline. <laughs> So yeah, let's play a little bit of your best American girl. 
So basically what you're saying is it's a much more positive song. You want to, and you even said love song. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's not that it's positive or negative. It's not even, I, okay, so here's what it was. I'm like not doing a good job explaining myself. I think all of the, not all, a lot of the articles written about the song made the song sound very combative when Mm. actually it was just like me reaching out and being like, I love you so much and I don't know what to do with our situation. I think that's what it was. But I don't know if it was like a positive song. It was just like an it is what it is song. Yeah. Yeah. So you've, probably been doing a lot more press than you have in the past or the past like one two years or so and like i even interviewed you once before we talked about that for billboard so i'm wondering like is there something you think like the press is like stressing too much or like gets wrong about you or maybe something you'd wish they'd ask um so here's the thing with uh like being i don't know how to say this like a a public person where there is just no way to be portrayed as a nuanced, layered human being with, like, such little space and such little time. Um, it's vi- it's just, like, impossible t- to, um, to portray anybody, including myself, as a, a layered, you know, real human being. It's, it, you inevitably, once you start talking about artists you just have to when you write a piece you have to think of a focal point you have to think of like a theme Mm -hmm. to write about you know so I think like I could totally I could totally say I don't like how they are portraying me right now but then they could change it and I'd still be unhappy with it because I would keep wanting my me to be portrayed as a a three-dimensional four-dimensional multi-dimensional person and that's just not a possibility yeah narrative narrative press likes their narrative yeah yeah so there's no escaping that so i don't think i will ever be happy (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was reading something um that victoria from downtown boys wrote Mm -hmm. about you it was really interesting she was actually downtown boys were on this podcast a few Mm -hmm. months back oh cool love those guys Mm -hmm. but um she was writing about how sometimes it's frustrating when, like, the press just latches on to, like, your ethnicity and just mm-hmm. always writes about that. Yeah. Like, what's that like? Um, I think I said this in the interview I did with Victoria, too, but I – so I am half Japanese, and I, I think it's important to talk about it. I'm not denying it. And if we don't talk about it, we won't move forward. We won't, like, go into... We won't, like, enter a landscape where finally everyone is represented. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, when that's all people latch on to, I end up... Like we were talking about with the press and narratives, I end up just not being seen as an artist. My music stops being important in these narratives. It's just about, like look at this Asian girl. And I also find that with a lot of publications, they just kind of want to show their readers and the world that they have featured a person of color. And it's kind of like a self-congratulatory thing. Like, look, we're so open-minded because we featured this woman who's Asian. And it's not about, it's not, it stops being about the actual dialogue. It's just kind of like a s- patting yourself on the back situation. And then the reader who is 
you know, a lot for a lot of these publications, they're predominantly white, so they feel good about themselves for reading about a person of color artist, and then they feel like a like a hero for being supportive of this artist, and then meanwhile, nothing changes, and I kind of feel like I've 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 turned into some kind of dancing puppet. Um, so I've started to make this distinction with myself with for example if a fellow half you know Asian girl reaches out to me and is like hey I'm making a zine can I interview you because I want to know what your experience is like I'm all for that and I you know I answer those questions in depth but when it comes to I, I just like have to pick my audience or pick the people I talk to about it because sometimes I find that my talking about it doesn't actually help um, Asian people mm-hmm. in certain instances, and it only really helps white people. So yeah. yeah, it's sort of like how you wouldn't ask like a a rock band of all white guys like what it's like to be like a white guy in a right. rock band. Right, like I I got into this because I want to make music, not really to be an activist, and I. I know I have responsibilities as an adult to, like, talk about these things, but at the same time, I can't represent everyone and everything. Yeah. Are there any, like, specific, like, Asian artists who come to mind or, like, zine people, like you said, who you've, like, worked with recently? There's this uh, amazing zine. It's based out of the U.K. called Diaspora Drama. Um, They just, like... They had this. Uh, they, just their their zine is actually beautiful and amazing, and um, I think they're putting out their second issue soon. So that they're my favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. And it's is it just a physical thing, or are they online too? It's a physical thing. I think they're online, but actually, there's there's not much online, um, and you kind of have to get your hands on a physical copy. I think they have physical copies at the new museum right now, but I'm not really sure. Okay, yeah. so it's over here. Mm-hmm. Little by little. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't. I well, I didn't know anything about with, with underground culture. I guess you kind of have to be somewhere a while to even realize it exists mm. there in the region. And I never, I never stayed in one place long enough to actually know anything about a local culture. And then I got to college, and all these people my age were putting on shows, and you know like starting bands just on their own and that was so wonderful for me it was kind of like an eye-opening experience like oh I can I can do this yeah and yeah it was a it was a really nice time had you made music on your own at all before that yeah I had I mean I was already and then I guess I just like found other people who were also making their own music Right, and was this more the classical stuff you did, or was this, like, with the guitar? Like, what was this like? Um, I went to college for 
composition. I, I entered the studio composition program at SUNY Purchase. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I, I'd always played piano and I was writing with piano. Actually, my switch to guitar was a totally practical thing. I just got really tired of carrying around the piano because I was playing solo and I didn't have a car, so I would like take my keyboard onto trains and it was a nightmare. So that's like why I switched to writing songs for guitars. It was a purely kind of practical That's reason. very practical. Yeah. Yeah, because I just wanted to, I, I had started to just want to play more shows and realized that a guitar was much more portable. Yeah, I feel like there's a few directions you could have gone with that. You could have become like a laptop DJ, mm-hmm. an iPad DJ. It just depends what year we're talking and like right. where Apple technology was at at that point. Right, but I didn't have the, the money to buy a, a nice laptop or any kind of technology like that. It was the <laughs> easiest portable mm-hmm. solution, yeah. Yeah, and it, but interesting how, like, decision to make music, I think a lot of times for people it just comes out of practicality. It really does. It's not that deep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Have you ever read uh, David Byrne's book, How Music Works? No, not yet. Wait, th- is that the one where he talks about the architecture of spaces and how that informs the music, or no? Is that something different? I've read three chapters of it. Okay. So I think, maybe. Okay. <laughs> but in, like, the first chapter, he talks all about how just, like, it's sort of a myth that music is just, like, a magical thing that comes into someone's head, like, I'm going to make this. Right. Where so much of it is just determined by what's around them. Right. Well, so this, this is my thinking behind that. I obviously, I haven't read the book, and I should. It's on my list. <laughs> I have a very long list. But um, I think, like, to not to get too esoteric, but I do think that, like, the music exists in you already and it's you just like use the tools around you that you can find to bring it out of you so you know I was I had the piano at first so I used the piano Mm. and then I switched to guitar because it became more practical and it it was just a matter of how I can bring the music outside of myself um so yeah it doesn't I I think like a lot of for example a lot of bands or a lot of DJs for them the production is really important like they need their instruments to make the music or the the aesthetic or the 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 instruments are essential to the music but for me I actually don't find that I think that I have the main vocal melody in my voice, and then I find whatever I need to bring that out. Yeah. Because, I mean, on on the album, especially, like, the way it opens, there's a lot more than just guitar. There's, like, synthetic parts, mm-hmm. synthetic percussion. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about happy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Here, let's, let's play the people a little bit of happy so they know what we're talking about. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com So this is the second song that you did a music video for. Mm-hmm. These are because I love the um, the first music video you did, the animated one for Townie. Mm-hmm. Uh, are these the first videos that you've you're in one of them? First well, time you've acted in music videos? Yeah, actually, I mean, let's see. I did. I made a few music videos in college, which just I hope that they never surface because they were well because I like didn't know what I was doing and the nice people at the film department at SUNY Purchase really helped me do it and I thank them for it but I like didn't know what I was doing um and then the townie video the animated one was made by Faye Orlov um she's based in LA right now um and she has this space called Junior High which if anyone is listening in LA you should go to um, and then, yeah, so Your Best American Girl was the first one I acted in, and then Happy was all Megan Huang, the director Megan Huang, uh, I, I had, like, actually no part in that video, um, and I mean that in a good way, like, she just sent me a treatment, and I was like, oh, crap, yeah, just do it, like, yeah, do it, (laughs) so... What is it like acting in music videos? Is it really different, or is it just something natural to you? No. Well, so here's the thing that I learned is that you just have to go into it not having any sense of embarrassment or shame, because like with the kissing the hand thing, like I I just had to go in and be like I'm gonna do this and not think about like whether I look good or like how I'm doing. I just have to go in and and do it because it's it's like with like 
it's like with um with with any kind of performance if the audience can sense that the person performing is embarrassed you're just taken out of the experience yeah so it doesn't even matter whether you're a good actor or not i think you just have to like go go in and and do it i guess that's really liberating if you know you're not very experienced as an actor right just it's just like go with it and make it look convincing yeah i just like it's it's good that I understood that I'm not a good actor, or I just understood that I'm not a not an actor, and and I'm just doing this for a music video, because then I could just be like, I'm gonna do my best, and no one is gonna expect me to do well. So, yeah. Have you ever done improv classes or improv anywhere? You know, I've thought about it. I feel like I should just to, just to like make my musical performances better, or to enhance them, or to enhance like my movement on stage. I just haven't had the chance yet, but I really actually want to. That's something that pops up a lot when I'll just like talk to someone about doing a podcast or just whatever. Because I did take improv classes senior year of high school, and I feel like now, out of all the classes I've taken in high school, that's one of the things that still just pops up in my head. Mm-hmm. What are some things you learned from high school improv classes? Like there, we we played a game a lot called Late Worker, mm-hmm. where you're just thrown on the spot out of a group and there's one person running it who's the boss Mm -hmm. and people from the crowd just get thrown out and the boss asks you, why were you late? And you just have to come up with something right away. (laughs) That's awesome. I would love, I would love to do that. That sounds fun. So it's like anyone can come up with something, but if you're just like, Oh, my dog was sick, and you're just gonna look lame in you're front of the fired. group. So, like, yeah, <laughs> so it's like you want to be the one who has something really charismatic and funny that gets everybody going. Mm-hmm. And I think there's some part of it where other people come into it as mm-hmm. it gets better. But right. again, that sounds so fun. I would love to do that just on my own. <laughs> Solo the INFJ version of <laughs> of improv classes. Yeah. For a webcam or like for like YouTube or something like a, that is the most self indulgent <laughs> thing. <laughs> Actually, I won't do that. <laughs> so, we're talking about on stage performance mm-hmm. is bass still your instrument? Yes. Pink bass. Not anymore. The pink bass, I. It's uh, so. Uh, I don't know if I should tell its origin story. Maybe it's really private, but basically it was a gift. Um, and it was, it's kind of not, it's starting to not sound so good. And I, and I just like recently actually got a new bass just cause I wanted a different sound. So I hate to disappoint, but I might not be touring with the pink bass for a while. I see, but it's on the tour poster for the upcoming tour, mm-hmm. so it lives on. It lives on in spirit. Yeah. Because yeah. once it makes it onto a poster like that, it's kind of immortalized. It's like a thing. The thing is, also, I kind of hated that I had a pink bass because it became a thing where every live review just boiled down to, she has a pink bass. Like, nothing about the performance, nothing about the music, just like, Oh my gosh, she had a pink bass. The end, and it was just like it got it got it started to grate at me. So, are there any like terrible live reviews that stick out in your mind? Oh, for sure. <laughs> but I don't know if I should mention them because like 
someone's going to hear it, and then someone on Twitter is going to be like, how dare you talk about my live review like that? So... At Mitsuki <laughs> That's a great Twitter handle. Thank you. How did that come about? Like all of my great decisions, they came about... It came about just really randomly. Like Puberty 2, for example. The, the title was just like a joke between me and the producer, Patrick Highland. Mitsuki Leaks also was just like, oh, this sounds like a good Twitter handle. You know, it just... It just, uh, it just came... <laughs> Yeah, you're you're really good on Twitter. Ah, oh, thank you. I feel conf- I feel conflicted being praised for that because like that's not what I do. Like that's not my job. You know, like oh you're good at Twitter. Oh, thank you. Like I it it does nothing for me. I just spout out my thoughts on it. So yeah, it's that's interesting to hear because nowadays there's you know, a significant amount of people who will get famous and, like, have, like, a sustained life doing something just because they got big on Twitter. Yeah, but I would hate that. I would I would want to make sure that people are listening to my music. So, I don't know. I'm glad that people enjoy my Twitter, but I hope that... that's the, That was a depressing thing when someone was, like... Someone tweeted, like, I don't... I've never listened to her music, but her Twitter is good, and that was, like, crushing to me. <laughs> so. Because I won't say what bands this is, but there's a singer of one band who was very big on Vine, and mm-hmm. then I remember they announced a new album coming out, and there were just a bunch of, like, teens just going, like, oh, so-and-so from so-and-so has a band? <laughs> so-and-so from Vine has a band? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's depressing. But I can't complain, you know. I think as long as you, as long as it's firmly known for making music, but also has a great Twitter presence, you can't go wrong with that. Yeah, I guess. Well, I just I'm just waiting for the day I finally get sick of social media and um, quit t- Twitter. Like I recently deactivated my Facebook. I just like it takes up so much of my brain space and my time. And so I'm trying to actually cut back on it. Sorry, Twitter, at Twitter. <laughs> yeah, was was this uh, like having like a personal Facebook from yeah. that you've always had then like having the Mitski Facebook for an artist? Yeah, right. Oh, that's the thing. I couldn't quit my personal Facebook because it was attached to my like artist page and I can't delete my artist page, but I just like, mm. I just didn't, I didn't, I just would go on Facebook every five minutes on my phone. It was not healthy, so I just had to deactivate it. Yeah. Is there anyone else on Twitter who you think is especially good, like other musicians? I really love Perfume Genius. Okay. Perfume Genius. familiar with that. <laughs> yeah. Perfume Genius is really good on Twitter. Just every every single tweet. Um, I'm blanking right now. There are many people I, I love on Twitter. That's the thing that's unhealthy. I, I that's why I think I, I feel like I sh- I should like. I hate that I'm told that I'm good on Twitter because it creates this pressure that I have to keep doing it. When deep inside I'm like I want to escape this this hell. <laughs> yeah. Because people will come for you if you don't tweet like for a month. They'll be like, "What's up?" Right. Whereas if it's like a musician's page that mostly just tweets out like ticket links and pre-sale links and. That kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. No one will really notice right. if it's just, like, not really popping. Mm-hmm. 
So it's a complicated world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I remember when I interviewed you last, I asked you about, you posted on the Mitski Facebook that you had like four goals for yourself. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what I'm talking about? I do. Yeah, so it was like about a year ago. So I wanted to ask you about how you think like you've come along with your goals. And I have them. Do you have them? I do have them. <sighs> the first one I think you've been good with. The first one was Are you judging me now? <laughs> the first one was make the best music. Oh, thank you. I think th- I think I think contextually it was be- make the best music I can make at the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah not like It wasn't the like best I'm going to win the game this year. <laughs> yeah. I think my yeah. Okay. The second one was always show up on time and don't sweat it basically if it's like out of your control while you're late. Okay, yeah. So, yes and no. I always, I'm very um, anal retentive about being on places on time just because I don't want to be the person inconveniencing anybody else. But I do also stress out when the train is like one minute late. I feel like I'm going to have a heart attack. So I think the second part of that, maybe I'm not following so much because I just stress out about it so much. Yeah, because cause in New York, so much of like transportation is going to be out of your control. Right. Yeah. And so I'm, the, I'm like that dad who goes to like the function two hours early because I left two hours earlier than I needed to because I was like, well, something's going to happen. There's going to be traffic. So I'm that person, and my bandmates don't like that <laughs> at all. They're like, w- we don't have to leave yet. And I'm like, but what if, like, our tire goes flat, and then, like, we're stuck on the on the highway for five hours? Like, what then? And therefore, we should leave five hours early <laughs> earlier than we should. Anyway. How many people do you tour with now in the band? I have two people, Casey, the drummer, and Callan, the guitarist. And for my next tour um this upcoming one i'm also gonna have melina who's jason who's um touring with me um in the van as well and yeah cool and i said new york are you still based in new york kind of i haven't had a place to live since last year actually um because it just i lived in Queens, but then it became a thing where I had to pay for rent for a place that I was in three days out of a month, and it just, I was just bleeding rent money, and I couldn't afford it anymore, so I, after I left the apartment, I just didn't find another place to live, and since then, I've just been hopping around. I mean, you're probably away a lot. Yeah, between right. Between touring and, like, I guess recording, you might have. Right, that's the thing. I'm just never in one place long enough to justify living anywhere. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) number three. This one's like a little bit more in-depth. It says, speak your mind when appropriate, check your emotional reactions and personal hang-ups before imposing them on others. Mm, I think I'm pretty good about that now, actually. I think it's just about growing up and realizing that other people live their own lives where you don't see. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, when you leave your house, your bedroom is still there, whether you're thinking about it. It's kind of like that, where, like, people are all living their own lives and have their own emotions. And it's such an obvious statement, but you don't – 
it takes you a while to kind of realize that and realize also that the way people are acting towards you oftentimes has nothing to do with you yeah. and the way you're acting towards people has nothing to do with them so just like being aware of that yeah like it makes you think i read an article lately about how people tend to be by far their own harshest critics so when you're like upset with yourself because like you have a bad hair day or something mm-hmm. you're basing it off of knowing yourself through your whole life and comparing yourself at that present moment to how you've been throughout your whole memory <laughs> right. which is why you could be so angry at yourself versus people just seeing you it's just like oh what's up right well people don't even notice your hair because they're thinking of their own hair you yeah know? or that yeah <laughs> so so number four be mindful of multiple perspectives coexisting the understanding of others' differing processes. You were also crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. This, I think I've, I'm mindful of this too. It's always easy to forget. Like, uh, you know, like the, with the lateness thing, for example, if someone is really late, it's easy for me to get really pissed off at them, but I have no idea what their day has been like. I have no idea what happened or what they're, you know, going through. Maybe they were just really sad and couldn't get out of bed, you know? Yeah. Or, like, it, it's just, like, it's important for me, I think, because I tend to be a very harsh critic of both myself and others, it's important for me to step back and be like, you don't know everything. Yeah. And also, people don't know everything about you, so you would be really sad if someone judged you harshly based on like one small instance that they knew nothing about one tweet yeah <laughs> stay out of twitter beefs <laughs> yeah twitter beefs are so absurd because like i just it, it always surprises me i would tweet something that i think is completely benign like about the weather or something just very the mildest of mild neutral and then 10 people would tweet at me like how dare you you know just i hate you i think you should die um the weather is fine it's here like, don't you know about global warming <laughs> yeah. don't you know about the polar ice caps melting how it's destroying the planet right and it's it's just like it always amazes me and that's another thing with perspectives it's just like you never know what other people are thinking. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Man, I feel like there's a lot of good INFJ times. Because <laughs> my dad is an INFJ, so oh, I know is a lot. He yeah, really? and they're so rare. Um, I should go bowling with your dad. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that. I think I'm thinking of the Breakfast Club quote your dad and my dad should go bowling right i'm sorry am i just in too deep right now (laughs) i know every line of the breakfast club because i grew up in an environment where there wasn't much like english speaking tv so i we had like five tapes and i was like 11 and watching breakfast club every single day of my life what were the other tapes i think um really uh there was jumanji Okay. Um, and what else was there? There was all the Hayao Miyazaki Ghibli movies, which I'm very thankful for. I'm very glad that those movies raised me. Um, oh, uh, George of the Jungle. Do you remember? Yeah. So, so two out of the three about like 
white people in jungles. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) very retrospectively racist drumming just happening. (laughs) Yeah, what else was there? Um, I think there was like a few Meg Ryan romantic comedies. Um, Men in Black. Oh my gosh, MIB <laughs> for sure. <laughs> the first one. Yeah, it's all downhill from there. No, res- no disrespect. All the MIBs are good. I think I'm just attached to the first one. Um, yeah. Where was this growing up? Um, just I moved around a lot, and I was always abroad. I think that's why I just latched on so tightly to those few. That the 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 small amount of access I had to English speaking mm-hmm. media. Yeah. So you was just like moving around the United States, or because you, you were in different countries too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I I grew up kind of abroad mostly. I came to the U.S. in high school. Mm-hmm. What languages did you speak at home? Um, Japanese and English. The thing is, I went to Japanese schools f- up until. Uh, middle school so Japanese it's not that I didn't speak English it was more just like I was more comfortable with Japanese because I was in a in Japanese school systems um so yeah those are the two languages do you still speak it often um mostly with just my mother and um I don't really have an opportunity to speak it here unless I have Japanese friends but the thing about it is like even if I'm talking to a Japanese friend I end up we end up speaking English just because we're in the U.S. and like speaking Japanese amongst just like you and another person while English speakers are around is like kind of rude so yeah Mm. mostly just to my parents my mother rather hmm do you ever just, like, think back to, like, learning? So did you kind of learn English from those movies, or were they just, like, there when you were young? I think, I mean, like, I wasn't, my life wasn't devoid of English until middle school. But, yeah, I do think that um, the, my access to English was, like, very limited to media. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I often hear of that instance of, like, learning about it, like, or, like, pop songs is another one. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I grew up on Top 40. But Top 40, Top 40, but, like, a year later than it came out, like, I would... Uh, like, in once a, it made it to the Now compilation. What? <laughs> so once it, like, once it made it to the Now compilation. Right. I don't know. How, how many Nows have there been? Like, 146 or in something In the UK, like yeah, because they started over there. But here, I think we're just in, like, the 70s. It's interesting. The UK pop world seems to function so differently from the US pop world. We're, like, One Direction or just... I feel like boy bands or girl bands are still a big thing in the UK. Whereas in the US, you don't really hear about that much anymore. I mean, I work at Billboard, so oh, I hear right. about them okay. all the time. But I mean, <laughs> okay. th- there was a huge, huge fallout of that stuff from like around the time like NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys fell off to like right after the millennium, right. until about the time when One D came around with right. like the Wanted, even though they just had one hit, mm-hmm. hit the same time as One D. And now there's like Fifth Harmony and Little Mix, so there's like girl and guy groups. So there's like a revival now. Yeah, yeah, for sure, and it's been for maybe the past five years. Right, but I feel like it comes from the UK though, not much. I don't know. Yeah, because I mean, I'm yeah, because like 
they're from, like One Direction formed on the UK X Factor. Right. Oh, right. And meanwhile, in America, American Idol is like this is our final season or something, right? Mm-hmm. I don't really know, but I it hope, is. No, yeah, yeah. The, the last one was just a farewell one. And then, is there an, a US X Factor? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know. I might have to take this out because I should know, <laughs> but it might be discontinued. We still have the voice. Okay. The voice is still a thing. The X Factor, I'm not sure. But the thing is, like, with these shows, they usually just produce solo stars. They don't really form, like, singing groups. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're in a solo star world right now. <laughs> yeah, so that's pretty much all I had at my end. Okay. Yeah, is there anything else you want to touch on? Nah, it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, thanks for coming by. No, thank you for having me. Bam! That's it. Her album's great. Go get it. I really don't have much more to say. Just a little bit of self-promotion to close out the podcast. You can subscribe to the Alt in Our Stars and also listen to all the old episodes on iTunes. Search the Alt in Our Stars there or in the podcast app of your phone. Um, one old episode where I had Courtney Barnett on. We talked about things like this. Yeah, what was, what was it like doing the red carpet? Um, weird. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, um, was, I was, like, uh, waiting there and, and, um, Taylor Swift was two, two, like, people in front of me doing the red carpet, so, um, so everyone, all the, like, photographers and stuff were going crazy for her and, like, yelling at her to try and get her attention to take her photo. Um, so I was just watching that in amazement, and then, um, yeah, and then I walked on, and they were like, (laughs) (laughs) took a photo. (laughs) So yeah, that was me chatting with Courtney. Other artists I've had on recently, uh, Car Seat Headrest, Modern Baseball, Into It, Over It. A lot of stuff there in the archives I think you'll be into, so yeah. That's all I have to say. This podcast runs every Friday on Billboard. Until next week, uh, take care, everybody. Bye-bye.